0: So how is utopia defined once we leave Moore's fictional island? Is it fundamentally an elegant philosophical paradox? Or is it a blueprint? A recipe for creating a perfect or at least a better society? Or is it a place? A planned community in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, for example? And what about dystopia, an imperfect or even nightmarish place? Did Moore invent that too? What is the appeal of these two genres? Why are there so few texts that we can categorically call utopia? And so very, very many of them are not quite opposite dystopia, especially since the 1930s. And what does it mean that dystopia is now the prevalent impulse in young adult literature? Now, before we get too deeply into these questions, I want to tell you a story. I'm an English professor, so I always like to start with a story if possible. Now, this is a really short story only four or five pages long, but I'll summarize it for you. This is from 1973, written by a writer we'll be spending some time with later in the course, Ursula K. Le Guin, and it's called The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. Omelas? Where's Omelas? I love Le Guin's explanation for this completely made-up name. She says that one day she was driving away from Salem, Oregon, and saw the town's name in the rearview mirror, O-M-A-L-A-S. I love that the origin of this word is in some ways the opposite of the carefully crafted utopia, and you'll see why. A word that's randomly generated, but nonetheless now carries enormous meaning, given this little story's popularity. Okay, okay, let me tell you the story. It opens on a festival in the city Omelas. The festival is joyous, and the first-person narrator immediately assures us But although that might sound kind of childish, it isn't. In Omelas, you see, happiness is possible. And it's not because the people are simple-minded. In fact, they aren't any less complex than we are. The big difference between us and the people of Omelas is that they believe in happiness. The trouble, the narrator tells us, is that we have a bad habit, encouraged by pedants and sophisticates, of considering happiness as something rather stupid. Only pain is intellectual. Only evil interesting. Well, sure, some of us might say, given all the horrible things that are happening in the world and our own communities even, how can a smart, well-educated person possibly believe in happiness? And even if we only think about personal happiness, isn't it always elusive? So what if someone asks, how are you? And we can honestly say, I'm great. What we mean by that is that today, at this moment, I'm healthy and fulfilled, and so are the people closest to me. But that's just today. We all know that could change at any moment. I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and become an invalid for the rest of my short and painful life. You could lose your job and deal with crippling financial stress for years to come. The people we love could get sick and die. Or more accurately, the people we love will get sick and die. And... There are more global fears. A pandemic could break out and throw our entire society into chaos, as could an electromagnetic pulse that destroys our electronics, or a series of extreme weather events, a meteor, nuclear weapon, aggressive aliens, a recognition that Earth's government, military, or elected are leading us into a very dark future of conformity, surveillance, economic disparity. Happiness is stupid. Yes, when Le Guin's narrator says that we tend to devalue happiness, the more cynical among us will agree and go one step further. We have good reason to devalue happiness. So, what's making the people of Omelas so happy? The narrator says it can't really be described. Certainly, Omelas doesn't have clergy, slavery, or soldiers, but otherwise, it's best for each reader to imagine it for him or herself. Maybe Omalas has amazingly advanced technology, or maybe it's fairly pastoral. Maybe the citizens use recreational drugs. Maybe they're totally committed to temperance. Maybe the people are committed to traditional virtues, or maybe they like orgies. If orgies sound better than chastity, the narrator tells us, go ahead and, quote, add an orgy. Add an orgy. I share that, partly because I love that line, but also... It speaks to a debate within utopian writing and thinking. How much do the details matter? In conceptualizing a better place, is a writer required to carefully document all the details of a highly functional society?